0: You're listening to Podketeers.
1: Welcome to episode 250 of Podketeers. In this episode, we announce the winner of our March Mayhem competition, and we'd like to say thank you to everyone that participated and helped make our second annual March Mayhem a success. Melissa also gives us her thoughts on the new live-action Dumbo, Gavin went to WonderCon, and we talk about the original Imagineers that helped build Disneyland. You can check out photos and things that we reference in this episode at podcateers.com slash 250. Remember that if you want to join the conversation, you can leave a comment on the blog post for this episode or by connecting with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter, just search for podcasters You can also check out our YouTube channel. If you do, we'd love it if you took a moment to subscribe and maybe hit that little bell icon for notifications whenever new videos are posted. A huge thank you goes out to the FGP squad because it's their support via Patreon that helped make these episodes of Podcateers possible. If you like the podcast and would like to help us out, a great way to do it is by becoming one of our podcast fairy godparents. More information on how you can do that can be found at podcateers.com FGP. If you're not able to join the FGP squad but would still like to help us out, the next time that you buy something on Amazon, start your purchase by going to podcateers.com Amazon. On that page, you'll find a large Amazon button that'll take you to Amazon's page using our special referral link. And anything that you buy will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. If you're already using this process, we'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you to you as well. So let's do this. Here is episode 250 of Podcateers. I feel like you're at a basketball game, don't you, Gavin? Yes, I do. Yeah. I know how it goes down at sports arenas. Mm-hmm. Sports. But instead, we're here. You drinking your cup of coffee. Me drinking this Coke Zero cherry because... I had to make sure that I had a flavor that I enjoyed. I don't know if you saw this on my Instagram story, but y'all know that I'm big on the orange flavored stuff, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or I'm sorry, a soda company recently put out a flavor of said cola that was orange vanilla flavored. And I thought Uh to myself, well, I have to try this. And so I went to the store and I thought, okay, I am on a mission to find this beverage. And I did, and I
2: found it for seven dollars a case. Can
1: you believe that? How much is seven dollars?
2: Well, how much is in a case? I've got no reference there. I don't know, like twelve cans. Mm, That seems reasonable. The vending machine outside my door here at my apartment sells me one can for a dollar. So that's because they're trying to rip you off. Oh, they do rip me off on a nightly basis. That's right. (laughs) So then you need to invest in one of
1: these $7 cases. Might (laughs) I interest you in one of the four that I purchased? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So here's what happened. Went to the store. Found the soda, and I thought to myself, okay, I'm just going to get one. I freak out. I'm like, seven bucks? Y'all crazy. Oh, but look, it says buy four, get them for this price. And I thought, well, I want them for that price. So I bought four cases. Yeah, what's up? Sticking it to the man. And it cost me way more money. Yeah. So here's what happened. I got two... of the orange vanilla zero flavors because you know less calories i mean that's what you do right and Great. then i got a regular one so that i can taste it and then i got a cherry version just because i knew i liked that one already and then the mm-hmm. other ones as long as i kept it sealed i could just return them for the cherry or another flavor opened the regular one and i i put it in the in the fridge tasted it after a few hours and i thought uh okay little different You get a whiff of vanilla, the orange flavor kind of an essence that you get at the end. But if you let it flatten out, it tastes a little bit more like orange vanilla cream. Not huge like it, but the trick of the regular one is to let it flatten out a bit. Now the zero version already is more flat than the regular version. So that one almost right out of the can tasted much more like an orange vanilla cream soda. And so I enjoyed that one a lot more than the regular one. Would I buy it again? Eh, I don't know. Depends on how <laughs> I'm feeling. After I go through these cases, I think I had my, my fix. Overall, hmm, you know, it wasn't bad. Hmm. If, if I want orange cream soda, I'll probably just get like an orange cream soda or something. I right. probably won't invest in this again. And that's the long story of how I ended up with four cases when I went in for one can of soda.
2: <laughs> they got you good, <laughs> man. They got you so good. No, but good. I
1: stuck it to the man, Gavin, because I got it for the less expensive price. <laughs> yeah, but even,
2: but even that less expensive price is a total racket. <laughs> it was, dude, after because CRV you know and everything. Because you know what the deal is? Coca-Cola Classic is perfect, Every other iteration of it is just a pale comparison. So they're just tricking you into thinking there's new and better things. But there's not. There's just Even they thought that Classic
1: was better after they had their new Coke debacle.
2: Yeah, that was was a terrible dark time for those of us who remember that. Almost as bad as Crystal Pepsi. I was just going to say that. (laughs) 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 That's hilarious.
1: (laughs) Uh, So how's everybody's day going so far? Ah, up until the last hour. (laughs) Great. (laughs) It's been a crazy day. I think we've all felt the brunt of it. Yep. Uh, You know, April Fool's Day and all. That is the the day that we are recording this. Uh, Been a weird day. Been feeling off kilter all day, but it's okay. We're going to get through this. We're gonna we're gonna put out an awesome show just like we do every week, and then we're gonna go to sleep.
0: <laughs> <Nice>. Yeah, he <laughs> said,
1: trying to trick his brain into thinking he's actually going to sleep after this.
2: Like seriously, though, I I, I don't I kind of feel bad for any entity out there that decided to make an actual announcement today of something that was real because. All of social media today was joke announcements. That's For all real. it was. Like, every single person I follow had some sort of thing. Even podcasters got in on the action. <laughs> like, e- everything. So, like, by about 9 a.m. this morning, I was just like, e- everything's a lie. The whole world's a lie today. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and there was some entertaining, funny stuff. But after a while, it's like, man... Like I really hope somebody didn't make an important announcement today because it got lost. I guarantee it,
0: oh yeah, there, it got no disbelieved,
2: point. right? Yeah. I mean, this day has turned weird, like it used to be like little just little fun things, but now it's turned into full- on like conspiracies and hoaxes and scandals and like crazy stuff,
0: yeah, and some stuff are like way way too real,
2: and, yeah, and they do it in
1: in pretty convincing ways, mm-hmm. So you want to hear what my original plan was for April (laughs) Fool? Sure. (laughs) So if you guys follow us on Instagram, you may have seen that I posted the winner of March Mayhem. And for those of you that participated in March Mayhem, I have a couple of announcements coming up. So hang tight. But uh, what happened was that during one of the matchups, I accidentally posted a picture of Mickey and Belle when it should have been Mickey and
2: Jeannie. It was less of an accident, more of a Freudian slip, because you wanted Belle to win. That is very (laughs) true. Very (laughs) true.
1: Now, because a lot of people picked up on it, they sent me messages. They sent the group messages, and they're like, hey, this is wrong. Can you fix it? Took it down, fixed it. Life was good. But I got a good chuckle out of it because, you know, I, I did secretly want Bill to win. and I mean, <laughs> Even though I had Wally taking it all the way, I, I mean, I would have wanted Bell to win. Anyhow, I figured it would be a funny joke if I just posted a graphic of how we were switching the, the two players and the final two were Mickey and Stitch. And I thought, how cool would it be if, as they're switching to announce the winner, who was Mickey Mouse, by the way, it turns into Bell. Ha ha. <laughs> I know. Fifth grade April Fool's joke, <laughs> but here's the thing. The, oh man, I really feel like we would have gotten so much flack for this from uh, yeah. <laughs> the world, uh, because my original idea <clears throat> was to to po- to create a blog post with details about the registration for galaxy's edge finally being open and they oh click on our gosh. page to find <laughs> details on how to register. <laughs> and, uh, at the, at the last moment, I opted not to do that because quite frankly, I don't want the internet to hate me.
2: Right. right? We know how, uh, forgiving star Wars fans are. I know. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I thought, you know, I'm <laughs> just going to go with this March mayhem bell thing instead. Yeah. And safe. so I did. Very but, safe. uh, I mean, there's a part of me that wonders what would have gone down if I had posted that star wars one
0: <laughs> you know what' Nothing be interesting good. to hear what people would have thought or uh break the yeah internet. right
1: because' <laughs> cause here's the thing though we we were just talking about this just minutes ago. I feel like we've gotten to a point where the internet has ruined April Fool's Day for us. Like, if people know that it's April Fool's Day, they're just going to be like, God, it's, it's another prank. These podcasters, oh, I'm shaking my fist in the air. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be the people that do fall for it, and they would go onto the page and it would say, Ah, sucka, there's no registration here. Ha ha, April Fool's. And then they would be like, ah, those Pocketeers, I'm waving my fist in the air. <laughs> and, I mean, there was, there would have probably been more colorful words that were attached to that comment, but we'll never know. Right? Right. But I, I, I think I do want to know
2: how people would have received this. Uh, try try <laughs> it with Hazen Photography account first. Nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you know, the thing is that
1: the day's almost over on the East Coast. It's already tomorrow. So, Dang. I mean, re- like maybe maybe fiction. we'll do it next year. Next year, we'll post a thing saying, here's how to register for the opening of Galaxy's Edge.
2: <laughs> 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 uh, next year, it'll be about Marvel. Yes, it will be
1: about Marvel. It's coming, kids. It's coming. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: so, let's talk about what we did this weekend because, Gavin, it... Looks like you had a chance to check out some of the goodies and the goodness that was happening at WonderCon.
2: Yeah, I actually uh, was working, but I did get to experience my first WonderCon. So I was there with the company that I work for, Manning a Booth, and talking to all kinds of fans and cosplayers and people who get into all the convention-y, nerdy stuff, uh, like myself. So it was a good time, and I also got to break away uh, during my breaks and, and explore the floor. Cool. So it was it was really cool. It, you know, for those of you guys who are just hardcore Disney and you've only been to the D23 Expo, um, I definitely recommend some of the other cons, and WonderCon would be definitely a top recommendation of mine. I talked to so many people throughout the weekend who compared WonderCon to what Comic Con used to be like ten or fifteen years ago, when it was still, you know, more accessible, and you could actually walk around and have conversations with people. Because a lot of people shy away from Comic Con now because it's it's just kind of grown too big, and it's it's just throngs and throngs of people, and you know, it's hard to really experience and enjoy. Uh, you know, which is the fear of any popular con that it just is going to get too big, right?
0: My favorite. <laughs> uh,
2: but WonderCon was awesome. It was a great balance. So if you're if you love the Disney uh, entities, such as the Marvel Studios, there was tons and tons of Marvel stuff there. Uh, there was tons of Star Wars stuff, um, and then also all of your other things related to that, like DC Comics and all the other independent comics and. It was just cool. It was a really cool vibe. Um, it, it felt really celebratory. You know, everybody was kind of reveling in the wonder of WonderCon, and I really got a kick out of that. So, yeah, if you get a chance to go um, to and want to try a different convention than the D23 Expo, I definitely recommend WonderCon when it comes around again next year.
0: That's totally cool.
2: Yeah. Nice.
1: Nice. Uh, what was your favorite a cosplayer costume that you saw while you were there?
2: Man, there was some really good ones. There was a guy that was, and then you'll get a kick out of this one, Hazen. He was probably six foot six. Wow. Big dude, long black hair, full-on Undertaker from WWE. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? And he had a championship belt draped over his shoulder. He had the scowl. He meant, like, he was intimidating. He just walked around and basically stared down people. It was awesome. That's
0: amazing. So
2: that was probably my favorite one of uh, the weekend. There was also a couple of Transformers, which were, like, head to toe, and they were on stilts, so they were really big. So it was, like, uh, it was Optimus Prime and the main bad guy transformer i'm not super knowledgeable about transformers but anyway they would walk around and then like get into like false confrontations with each other and megatron megatron "Megatron." there we go act out little scenes with each other and (laughs) it was pretty entertaining they had lights and stuff like that Uh, did they make the sound though uh, no, but uh, Optimus Prime had um, a car horn, so he would as <laughs> oh. he would go through like busy intersections, he would honk people out of the way, <laughs> which was no, kind of awesome. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I mean, there was so many, there was tons, lots and lots of amazing cosplay. So oh. cool. I, I feel like if you're gonna do something like
1: that, you really need a voice changer to go with your with your costume, mm-hmm. and you yeah. need some kind of speaker system so you get that...
2: Yes. Into the yeah. whole thing.
1: Yeah. And then you have to somehow record Peter Cullen's voice into your costume. So you'd be like, Autobots, roll out. Yeah, that'd be amazing. It just it's not the same without it. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta
0: go all out.
1: Yeah. That's, you know what you need yeah. to do next year, Gavin? What? Next year when you're manning the booth. <laughs> You need to talk about how you made Hazen an Iron Man costume using a 3D printer. Oh, is that what's going to happen? And if you model my Iron Man costume made from as few parts as possible (laughs) that we can humanly create inside of those printers, Mm. then people will be like, wow, I can make my own Iron Man costume. Give me four of these. (laughs) And you'll be
2: like the number one paper salesman at Dunder Mifflin. I mean, that is the idea. I'd prefer to work it for Wernham Hog. You I I over it. I'd prefer to work for Wernham Hog, and you know that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, that's the idea. And we actually had a cosplayer um, at our booth um, who uh, has partnered with us before, who, who buys all of her 3D printing things from our company. And her... Uh, cosplay outfit was ridiculous it was a character from i think it's from overwatch i'm super not into gaming these days but i um uh, it's a character called mercy from overwatch who has this stupid elaborate costume with wings and wow. headpieces pieces and it's in, unbelievable, and, um, you know, she had uh, that on at our booth, and she was, like, the main attraction. We're like, That's oh, cool. but these 3D printers, we saw it, and everybody's like, we don't care. Look at this character. <laughs> <laughs> Just came for the picture, bro. Just came exactly. For the picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was cool, though. It was a fun time. That's cool. Uh, did you get a chance to
1: post or take any pictures?
2: Uh, not really. I, like I said, I, it was, like, a work shift for me, so I Got was it. I was at the booth, making contacts making leads getting people to sign up to win a free 3d printer Nice. Uh, it, it was fun we had we had a lot of fun even though we were working very cool yeah well
1: uh hopefully i get a chance to go to WonderCon one of these years i've always wanted to go it is it's... on my my list of things to check out yeah. comic con was one of those other ones and i know people that within moments of the tickets releasing they sell out so if yeah. you're not on that list you're pretty much not getting into comic-con but WonderCon still attainable yeah so hopefully one of these years we'll be able to go and we'll be able to cover it and yep. talk about it on the youtube channel and stuff so we'll see one of these years mel what's up what'd you do this weekend
0: i got to see dumbo really yeah wonder of the nice. world nice how was it <laughs> It's really good, but for (laughs) me personally, it was a little hard at times because my fear of clowns.
2: Oh, yeah. Stupid clowns. There
0: was some times I had to look away, but the story had me in tears, and there's a lot of Easter eggs.
2: So does your fear of clown extend to animated clowns? Like, do you have the same effect when you watch... The original Pennywise? Film? I've never no, seen it. No, not Pennywise. <laughs> You've never seen Dumbo? Uh, no, 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 no. I've i seen Dumbo. No, Hazen ruined it. Uh, are, he did. Are you, yeah. I, I'm i asking about Dumbo. Do you have the same effect with Dumbo? No, which oh, is
0: different because it's the style that they're in. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like um way vintage 1900s. Like so if you can imagine the makeup that they use.
1: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's closer hmm. to that, like weird Victorian-looking clown. Yes. Yeah. Nope.
0: So, hmm. you know, just a heads up if you guys, you know, if you guys have a thing against clowns, you may want to look away. But, but the movie is so totally worth it. Hmm. Totally worth it.
1: Nice. Let me ask you guys a question about Dumbo because I I heard this posed recently. And it kind of got me thinking about it. Tim Burton has always been known as a really edgy director, you know, dark humor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, his stories always have this sense of, of sadness that kind of overlays the entire film. Recently, people feel that he's become really washed down and that he's not the Tim Burton of old, that he's this... Like, new director that's doing safe films for all now. I mean, do you guys feel like that? Because I know you guys are big Nightmare fans. And Nightmare was one of those films that really, I, I feel, helped define him to a larger community of people outside of Edward Scissorhands and Big Fish and stuff like that. I mean, how do you guys feel about that comment? This movie
0: defeats that comment. Really? Yes because there was strange, there was weird. It wasn't all cutesy. And a lot of people did assume that Dumbo was going to be like totally like the film. No. There's heart and there's
1: strange. What about you, Gavin?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I can see what people are saying because I feel like... uh, And I haven't seen all of his uh, recent films. But there is uh, an element of relying on his... Uh, own shtick a little too much you know like he, he kind of he does play it safe in that he just kind of ensconces everything in a weird look when it doesn't always necessarily serve like I think the most glaring example are the the two Alice in Wonderland films which right you yeah. know uh just kind of it was just I don't know. I don't even know how to explain him, but I just feel like he he isn't being as artistic and making the statements that he was in the first half of his career when he was an independent filmmaker for all intents and purposes. Now that he is just making big budget films for Disney, it it's a different thing, you know? I mean, the same thing with Johnny Depp. Once he became... became mainstream and just made movies for big studios instead of his the first half of his career which was all independent films it's a different it's a different experience you know and i think a lot of hardcore burton fans um miss some of that feeling and that uh true burton stylization that they you know grew to love Mm mm-hmm but artists can go back to their roots and maybe that's what he's done. It sounds like Mel feels like that's kind of, you know, what he's done here. It's a, it's, it's a truly Burton film. Um, I, I don't know that it's one that I'll see. I, I'm I'm on record as saying, I'm not a fan of Dumbo. I, it's at or near the bottom of my Disney list. So, uh, I don't know. I, I may, I think, I think the draw for me is Danny Elfman's soundtrack. I think that's what I would want to experience it for because that dude hasn't skipped a beat. No oh, yeah. pun intended. That right. guy is like unstoppable genius. Yeah.
0: And he did a great job. But um, I kind of feel like that with Alice too. Like it was like, excuse the pun, but it wasn't my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way I could describe that was it. was better
2: than my pun. That was good. <laughs>
0: But he does, I mean, I think he goes back with this film.
2: Cool. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that his movies have become very formulaic, you know, yeah. and visually might... formulaic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I feel that in in most cases you can remove the Johnny Depp character from one film and plug it into the other in the exact same costume and it would still work. Mm-hmm. That's sad yeah. <laughs> to say. Because it's it's become predictable. And that's what I don't think you want as a filmmaker. E- even though you have a formula that works, giving people surprises and changing some of those elements. Even if you don't like them, MCU, I'm talking to you. Sometimes you just have to make those changes in order to make a film work. But I'm looking forward to it. I We are going to go watch Dumbo. Mm-hmm. We intended on watching it this last weekend, but uh, I had a lot of work that I had to get done this weekend. And unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to go. So uh, this coming weekend, we're hoping to to buy our tickets and go watch it uh, before we do our, our next recording. So hopefully I'll be able to report back uh, in, the, in that time frame. I hope I also get a chance to watch Wonder Park because mm. I've really been wanting to watch Wonder Park. <laughs> I am nice. huge on roller coasters and growing up i always played games like thrillville and roller coaster tycoon and (laughs) ah, i just i loved being able to build these parks and build like roller coasters and it it was ah, i love it like i just want to break out those games and play again so cool well um before we get into our main topic for this week i wanted to talk a little bit about Uh, This Lego set that I saw because, oh, my God, (laughs) I need this in my life. Yeah, you do. (laughs) It is Lego set number 21317, the new Disney Steamboat Willie Lego set. Nice. I mean, I saw this, and I instantly started drooling because, one, I love playing with Legos. Yes, I don't care how old I am. I still love playing with Legos. But more importantly, this Lego set is awesome. Why? (laughs) Because it makes the ship and it's got Mickey and it's got Minnie and it's got a cute little bird that sits on the side of the boat,
2: just like in the cartoon. (laughs) And it's in black and white. And it's in black and white. Yes. And it's like that vintagey, like, off-white. It's not just like the Lego stark white.
1: Yes. It's now really the cool. set itself uh has oh man, I forgot how many pieces it had. I I think it's over 750 pieces total and it's going to retail for about $90 at Lego locations. So if you happen to be at Downtown Disney or a location that has a Lego store, that's where you're going to be able to find this amazing Lego set. Uh, I want one. I'm going to totally ask Santa for one. <laughs> I know it's a little early in the year, but kids, if you want it, take a look at it. Pocketeers.com slash 250. There's a picture of it there, or you can check out our Instagram account. I don't have a direct link that I can send you to on Instagram, but it's there. If you just scroll down, you'll see it. But if you listen to this like way in the future, you're going to have to scroll a long time. So just go to, <laughs> to Pocketeers.com slash 250. That's much easier. You can see the post there, and you can see the Lego set that hopefully one day I will own. And not from eBay, where it's currently retailing for about $150 or more.
0: Oh, no, thanks. That's right.
1: That's right. Like every other Disney thing, it's already made its way to eBay.
2: It's the Trader Sam's Tiki mug all over again. For real. But don't do
1: it, or they'll ban your pass. Or the Hitchhiking Ghost Funko. Hmm. Uh,
2: Remember
1: that? Yes. Mm -hmm. For real. Mm Mm-hmm that's how i feel about that (laughs) all right so uh before we continue i did want to remind you guys that this episode of podcateers is brought to you by the awesome folks that we like to call our podcast fairy godparents but they like to call themselves the fgp squad and if you want to help us out, you can do so as well. And you can find more information by going to podcasterscom slash FGP. For as little as $1 a month, you can become part of the FGP squad. But for a contribution of at least $5 monthly, you also get the exclusive Fairy Godparent button. So to all of our podcast Fairy Godparents, we just want to send a huge thank you to all of you because it's your contributions via Patreon that help make these episodes of PodKeteers possible. So if you want information on how you can join the FGP, squad just head on over to podcateers.com slash fgp uh also i want to read a couple of comments from uh the instagram because uh we had some really great posts and comments from the last episodes uh mel you had a shout out that you wanted to throw out this episode right
0: yeah um i had chrissy from adventures in DIY shop, she contacted me and she gave us some pretty cool words. She uh, messaged us from the Main Street Armchair Imagineering episode and says, this was so good. I was tearing up at the part about Walt. Excellent episode. They would have to give boxes of Kleenex if they ever were to do anything like that. (laughs) But you guys always have great ideas and love." ...to hear you guys talk them through with each other and make your ideas even better. Well, thank you. Yeah.
1: That is very awesome. Yeah, we absolutely love these Armchair Imagineering episodes. You know, I I have to give Gavin a lot of credit for this because... Oh, yes. ...when we started talking about recurring segments on the podcast and how we could tell the story of the parks and the people that built the parks that we love... You know, it was really Gavin that helped structure all of that and and create the concept and the map that we're following right now. So, uh, you know, if, if I haven't said it out loud or publicly, Gavin, and you know, I just want to say thank you because you've played such a huge role in, in getting that ball rolling and, you know, doing something that I've been wanting to do for such a long time. And you've just been rocking it, dude. So thank you. No problem, Bob. Uh, also... Uh, some other comments that we had. Sarah, she's at Darkest Light on Instagram. Nice. Uh Same episode. She was talking about, uh, you know, we asked in the last episode, what would you like to add to Main Street or what would you change? And she responded with, I think they should make a fully themed, full service Alice in Wonderland Tea Room on Main Street. Ooh
2: now how rad would that be <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that that should why isn't that a thing it should be a thing right
1: yeah yep. and i started thinking about it and you know we ended up asking her where would you put this shop she mentioned that she would put it in an area with where the camera shop is right now hmm. and that's not a bad place it's right across from the plaza inn mm-hmm. but at the same time it's kind of across from the plaza inn yeah. What I think, if and since we like to add to people's ideas, <laughs> I want to take Sarah's idea because I think it's super awesome. And I would put it in a slightly different place. If you guys remember, when we were talking about building out Main Street, there's an area in front of the hat shop that's currently just called uh, the library. Oh, right? yes. And it's where they do the, the little meet and greets with Mickey and Minnie and other characters. It's also the exit when they temporarily have to add additional walking space when they're trying to funnel people out of the parks. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I still think that you can have that. But if you know a little bit about Disney history, that area used to be the Maxwell House. Yes, That was a little restaurant. That entire area where the meet and greets happened was all tables and all chairs. It was like a little mini Carnation Cafe slash Plaza Inn type place. It later became the Hills Brothers Coffee Garden. Then it became the American Egg House. And then it became the Town Square Cafe in the 90s before they shut it all down and made it like this holiday shop where you can buy ornaments. I feel like that would be a fantastic place to put this Alice in Wonderland thing because it's across from the Hat, the Mad Hatter's shop.
0: I was just gonna say that, <laughs> right? Mm. And
1: then it, they I could even, that. they could even sell like, since they love doing this, Disneyland could sell their premier, uh, premium packages to have a cup of tea and then watch a parade as it's exiting from those doors. Hmm. You know Ooh. what a prime spot for photos and to just kind of high for Mickey as he's coming by.
2: Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Right?
1: Hmm. So that's an excellent idea, Sarah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, we also had another comment from listener Kristen. She is at Kremlin on Instagram, She says, amazing episode. Hazing, you had me tearing up at the possibility of walking through Disney with Walt leading you around, telling you all about the park, telling you stories, etc. I want this to be available at Disney World by the time I am able to save up enough to go back in a couple of years. Why aren't you an Imagineer? (laughs) That is so kind of you to say because they don't want me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I've actually never applied to be an imagineer, but that's very kind of you to say. Thank you so much. Uh she goes on to say, Gavin, your Mary Poppins idea is genius. She is one of my favorite characters, and she does not have enough of a present in Disney World. Not sure about Disneyland. She doesn't. Uh I've seen I've only seen that character once at Disney World, and she disappeared before I could snag a photo with her. With this latest Mary Poppins movie out, they need to do more with her character. But I would love to be able to walk down Cherry Lane and have Chimney Sweeps performing Step in Time as I walk through that little world. Both ideas are genius, and so I want them to happen. Great episode this week. Awesome. Kristen, thank you very much for your comments. We agree. We agree. Uh, Gavin's idea is super cool. Oh, yeah. And even if he is going to take away from my awesome 40 experience of great moments with Mr. <laughs> Lincoln and the Disneyland story, I'm willing to give that up if we're going to get Cherry Tree Lane back there. We don't get Edison Street, but that's okay. We get Cherry Tree Lane. I think it's a good trade off. Yep. Yeah. I think it's a good trade off. So, uh, okay. Since we're talking about Armchair Imagineer and we're talking about Imagineers, I think it's time that we shift into our main topic for this week. What do you guys think? Yeah. Sounds good. So we wanted to tell you guys a little bit about Imagineers and Imagineering itself. And the the thing about Imagineering is that there's been tons of people that have gone through there. But we really wanted to tell you a little bit about the handful of people that helped develop Waltz Park and there's going to be some names that I'm going to exclude, and it's not because I don't like them or anything. It's primarily because even though they were early Imagineers, they really didn't come into the picture until Disneyland had already opened, and you know they started developing new attractions. So in, in what I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to talk about primarily the Imagineers that helped develop and build the park. So... Before we get into it, I'm going to tell you guys, you know, a little bit about that. So, uh, about the history of Imagineering. So, are you guys ready for this? Oh, yeah. so ready. All right. Let's do this. So, you know, when whenever you're walking through the gates of Disneyland, you know, whether it's for the first time or whether it's your 1000th visit to the park, one thing is clear. There's magic beyond those gates. And yeah, what you see when you walk into Disneyland is ultimately just a mixture of wood and concrete and paint. But it's how all of those elements come together that help tell a story and help us escape from the real world to enjoy the land that Walt and his Imagineers created. Now, Imagineering is a word that as a Disney fan, you've probably heard at least once in your lifetime. But if you've never heard it before... Welcome to the rabbit hole, because for many of you listening, that word might not only change the way that you view a Disney park, but it might actually change your life. For starters, let's pose the most obvious question for those that have never heard the term before and are just too shy to raise your hands in class. What is an Imagineer exactly? <laughs> I'm so glad that you asked. The <laughs> word itself is a portmanteau of the words imagination and engineering. Imagineering is described as the blending of creative imagination and technical know-how. Interestingly enough, though, the word itself was used by the Alcoa Corporation in 1942 as part of an internal program to encourage people to find innovative ways to use the aluminum that they already had in order to keep up with the demands during the Second World War. But Hmm. it wasn't until the Disney company applied it to their form of creative entertainment that it developed its legendary meaning that we know today. So there you go. It came from aluminum.
2: Huh they just learned did, something so new. So did somebody at Disney know of that and took that term and reapplied it? Or is it Probably. just coincidence that they both came up with the same term?
1: Well, I mean, they came up with it, you know, in 1942. And so Imagineering came around about 10 years later. So I'm assuming right. somebody saw the ad in the newspaper mm. or I think it was like Time Magazine or something like that. And they just started to apply it or they put an earworm into Walt's ear. Maybe Walt read it. I don't know. But, you know, it, it meant something similar, but the way that Disney applied it is how we know it. They even uh, applied for a copyright in the late 1960s, so now they actually own the word. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so over the years, many people have worked at Imagineering, and it's very likely that at some point you've heard the name of someone who's worked there and didn't even realize it, uh, or you've been walking through Main Street, USA, and you've read somebody's name on a window just not knowing who they were. So names like Bob Gurr, Rolly Crump, Marty Sklar, Exitensio, Tony Baxter, Mary Blair, Joe Rody just to name a few, and I know what you're saying, but Hazen. Joe Rody doesn't have a window. He's not even a Disney legend. Yet. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Trust me. Without a doubt, happen. he'll have both. Yep. Just saying. And Mr. Rody, when you do, I'd love to have you on Podcasteer so that we can talk about your career. The invitation Heck. is set. Heck yes. Yes. So before we get into some of the people that helped build Imagineering into what it is today, let's go back to when it all started because by the early 1950s, Walt Disney Productions was bouncing back from the toll of World War II, the animator strike of 1941, and quite frankly, Walt never fully got over the fact that the company went public, and he was just kind of unhappy with how the company had turned into this big corporation that at times he just felt he had no control over. Regardless, he showed up every day to work, he was still a dreamer, And overall, the company was doing really well. In 1950, they released Cinderella. In 1951 came Alice in Wonderland, and in 1953 came Peter Pan. During this time, the company also took a risk on live action films, so much of Walt's attention shifted to this avenue. And so he entrusted the production of all of his animated features to his nine old men. Those years also saw the release of their first full live action film, Treasure Island in 1950. The story of Robin Hood and his merry men in 1952, The Sword and the Rose in 1953, and one of Gavin's favorites, 20,000
2: Leagues Under the Sea in
1: 1954. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sci fi at its finest.
2: <laughs> I, I love Treasure Island too. That's one of my all time favorite films. It's really well done. They, they started off really strong. Yeah. I mean, it was really
1: well received for what it was too. So oh, uh, I'm and, glad that they and... continue that tradition.
2: Yeah, and it helped characterize our total image of pirates today. Right. Very, very true. Okay, so
1: by this point, I know what you guys must be thinking. So what does all of this have to do with Imagineering, right? They're just making movies or, you know, they're a studio. Well, actually, a lot because overall, Walt and Roy had an interesting relationship, and it's one that I definitely want to get into one day in more detail The one thing that you need to remember is that Roy, although he disagreed with Walt at times, really loved his brother. And he was always looking into how to protect Walt because Walt was a dreamer. You know, he I don't want to say he absolutely lived in the clouds, but he put more emphasis on being the idea guy and executing those ideas. And he kind of let Roy be his guardian. You know, he let him do deal with the financials and basically protect him. So how is Imagineering connected? Well, building an amusement park wasn't a new idea for Walt. As a matter of fact, um, he got the itch almost two decades prior, but he had to put the plans on hold because, you know, the war and everything was happening. But after the war in 1948, he got back on the park bandwagon and started talking about constructing Mickey Mouse Park. But when he went to the city of Burbank with his plans, they rejected... His his idea, because they were like, we don't want that carny stuff in Burbank. You go find an orange grove to build your stuff in. (laughs) Not what they said, (laughs) but because they rejected him, Walt hired a company to survey a lot of other lands. And they found a place in Anaheim that was just adjacent to a freeway. And he thought, well, that's great because it's only like half an hour from downtown L.A. That's a great place to be. And look, maybe it was because Walt wasn't an architect or maybe it's because he didn't know anything about construction or real estate. But it wasn't surprising that many people were against the idea of him building this park. And I mean, even his own brother was like, no, we're not going to do that. It's going to lead to financial ruin. And I'm pretty sure that's not what Roy Disney sounds like. But, you know, for the purpose of this uh, story, that's what he sounds like. (laughs) Uh, So Roy even convinced the walt disney productions board to not go along with walt's idea for the theme park and there was even a lawsuit involved at one point so around 1951 and again keep in mind they had this crazy relationship where he was like no you're not gonna do that but i love you i want you to do that but no you can't do this but i want you to do this because i love you and in 1951 roy was working on purchasing the rights to the wizard of oz stories And he found out that L. Frank Baum's family didn't own the rights to the books. And he started to get worried that that could happen to Walt, that one day he would just lose the rights to everything that he had created. So he convinced Walt to copyright his name so that he could license it to the studios. And that was part of what prompted Walt to create a new company that he could use to build his theme park without the shareholders getting in the way. That company Mm -hmm. was called Walt Disney Incorporated. And then Roy was like, no, dude, that's that's too similar to Walt Disney Productions. People might get it confused. You might want to change it. And so Walt thought about it. And in December of 1952, Walt formed Walt Disney Inc. or WDI. This company was also formed to produce television shows. And in 1953, the company's name was changed to WED Enterprises. WED, of course, standing for Walter Elias Disney. So,
2: wait, wait I, th- I thought it was Wednesday.
1: Wednesday? Are you sure? <laughs> Wednesday, enough Doritos. Oh, Maybe? that has to be it, right? That, that nailed it. Hashtag. It was just a
2: coincidence that it was his initials.
1: Well, I mean, you know, capital W-E-D. I mean, what other day of the week could it fall on? Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Lame joke. Keep Lame going. Lame joke. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so now uh, this company is set up to produce media... And the thing running through Walt's head the entire time was, yep, I'm going to use this company to build my theme park. But Walt, you know, was very tenacious. He, he didn't give up on this dream. And he may not have known the technical aspect of how to get this park built, but he knew one thing for sure. His park project would require a lot of money.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: Walt was certain that Disneyland would be such a success that he sold his vacation home and even borrowed from his own life insurance policy to help fund the park project. This was the initial funding that Wed received for Disneyland. Walt's enthusiasm is really what was selling people on the idea of the park. And even Roy eventually came around when he saw how hard Walt was working to come up with funding and talk to bankers and other people to fund this project. And so there came this point where it was time to go out for some big money. And Roy had an opportunity to meet with some investors in New York. And Walt knew that he had to present something that would make their jaw drop the moment that they saw it. So there's a very famous rendering of Disneyland that was created by Disney legend Herb Ryman. It's this beautiful three-quarter view of the park that if you haven't seen it, I'll post it in the blog post for this episode at podcasterscom slash 250 so that you can take a look at it. Uh, What some people may not know is that that's actually not the first drawing of Disneyland that exists. There was an aerial view of the park that existed prior to this that was created by Marvin Davis and Dick Irvine, two of WED's first employees. Walt called a a herb and they used that drawing, you know, to help create the the three quarter view of it. And so when Walt called Herb, <laughs> who, by the way, didn't even work for the Disney company at the time. He worked for 20th Century Fox. Weird mm-hmm. full circle thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> he he started off the conversation <clears throat> with Herb and he said, Herbie, we're going to build an amusement park. He Walt told him, look, Roy's going to go to New York in just a few days to pitch the idea for more money. And Herb was on board. He's like, oh, I would love to see these plans. And Walt corrected Herb and he said... No, you're going to make it. And so Herb Ryman's like, what are you talking about? Like, he's confused, (laughs) right? Because he claims that it was the first he had heard of building Disneyland. And at the end of that conversation, he ends it with, it'll embarrass both you and me. And I'm not going to make a fool out of either one of us. And so in a very uncharacteristic way, Walt charmed Herb Ryman into helping him with this design because he was basically putting himself out there in a very vulnerable state, which was something that Walt really wasn't known to do. And so that's what convinced Herb to help him out. And what many call the lost weekend, you know, for Walt and Herb, really paid off in the end. Now, there's a lot more to this story about the funding and everything that we can get into, but I'm going to save more of those details for a future episode. The TLDR is that Walt got the funding that he needed and building Disneyland was well underway. So uh, during the planning stages of the park, Walt hired an architectural firm by the name of Pereira and Luckman to help create the blueprints of his dream park. Walt was a very creative guy, but he was having trouble getting the architects to really understand what he wanted, and at one point, Uh, He talked to his friend Walton Beckett, an amazing architect in his own right that went on to design beautiful structures, including the Pan Pacific Auditorium that is the inspiration for the entrances of California Adventure and Disney's Hollywood Studios. Beckett told Walt that no one could design Disneyland except for him, and that if he wanted it done right, he had to do it himself. So that's what Walt did. You know, Walt took an unconventional approach. He hired storytellers to help build his park. These storytellers came from all walks of life. They were painters, engineers, animators, set designers, wardrobe designers, and the list just goes on and on. The melding of all of these disciplines helped create something magical that is difficult for anyone to recreate. Walt started off by hiring his brother-in-law, Bill Cottrell, to help run his newly formed company. He went on to become the first president of WED. But he wasn't an Imagineer, he just kind of helped run everything. Uh, As the development of Disneyland continued, we had our first set of Imagineers. Roger Brogy has the honor of being considered the very first Imagineer. He was the mechanical engineer that developed and constructed the prototype of audio animatronics technology. He was also a special effects master who created many of the special effects in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He created Circle Vision 360, and one of his most important accomplishments came in the form of the multiplane camera used by the Walt Disney Animation Studios. Fred Yorger was the second Imagineer that Walt hired. He was a model maker and the rock expert of Imagineering. He built miniatures for the storybook canal boats, oversaw construction of the rock work in Pirates of the Caribbean, the Jungle Cruise, Big Thunder Mountain, just to name a few. And he went on to create some of the standards that are used by Imagineers today when creating rock structures. So cool. Harriet Burns was the third person recruited to work at WED, and she holds the honor of being the first woman to work for the company. She shared a work area with Fred Jorger, which is how Walt found out about her model-making skills. She was also a scenic designer who designed and built the storybook Canal Boats, and she also worked on the Submarine Voyage and the Enchanted Tiki Room. For a while, those three people were kind of the team at wed, but very slowly, more Imagineers came into the fold. Herb Ryman officially came into the Disney company as an Imagineer when he left 20th Century Fox. He worked as a concept artist, and he worked on the concept art for Main Street, USA, Sleeping Beauty Castle, New Orleans Squares, and Pirates of the Caribbean. Marvin Davis was the person who helped put Walt's ideas to paper, creating an aerial view of the park with Dick Irvine. He was a master planner, a scenic designer, and an art director. He designed the exterior of the Haunted Mansion, Sleeping Beauty Castle, and the buildings on Main Street. So, while Herb was putting it all to paper in sketches, Marvin Davis was actually creating the the physical facades. Mark Davis was a show writer and a character designer. Walt's Renaissance Man helped model and create many of the characters that we see on attractions. His designs helped create a great way to tell a story and offered whimsy and humor on attractions like Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, Country Bear Jamboree, Jungle Cruise, It's a Small World, Enchanted Tiki Room, America Sings. There's almost nothing in the park that Mark Davis hasn't had his hand on in some way. Xavier Atencio, or X for short another amazing show writer that brought us to scripts for Pirates of the Caribbean adventure through inner space. And he wrote the lyrics to Yo-Ho a pirate's life for me and grim grinning ghosts. And in case you don't know, the subtitle for that song is the screaming song. (laughs) Not many people know that, but I thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, he also contributed to the primeval world diorama that is now part of the Disneyland railroad, John Hench, was not only the official portrait artist for Mickey Mouse, he was also a show and concept designer and a master planner. He was primarily involved in the look and feel of the original Tomorrowland and designed some of the most iconic structures at Disney theme parks, including Space Mountain. Yes. Bob (laughs) Gurr was a car designer that worked for Ford and then was offered a job at Imagineering. He went on to develop many of the special vehicles around the park, including the Omnimover system, the vehicles on Main Street, the Autopia cars, the original Matterhorn bobsleds, and, of course, the monorail. He was even the guy that imagined Abraham Lincoln as rocket parts instead of a person to help fix the animatronic body that wasn't fully functioning. (laughs) So talk (laughs) about thinking out of the box. Yeah. Bill Evans was a master with plants. By bringing plants in from around the globe, this man helped transform 80 acres of orange trees into the beautiful landscape that we know as Disneyland Park. Harper Goff was a concept artist that contributed heavily to the original concept work of Disneyland, including Main Street USA. We actually just talked about him you know, a couple episodes ago where, you know, may a lot of people think that he designed Main Street after Walt's hometown of Marceline when it was actually his hometown of Fort Collins. So, you know, a piece of trivia. Mm -hmm. Yale Gracie was a special effects and lighting artist that worked on the amazing visuals that we have on Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion. Claude Coates brought his expertise as a painter to Wed to help theme the Carousel of Progress, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Snow White's Scary Adventures, and the Rainbow Cavern's Mine Train, just to name a few. Richard Irvine, or Dick as he was known around Wed, was the head of design and planning for all Disney attractions, including the Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. Before coming to work for Walt, he actually worked for 20th Century Fox, so it was kind of cool that Walt was pulling from all avenues in Hollywood. (laughs) Admiral Joe Fowler was a military man and a retired shipbuilder that had a way of getting people to work and getting things done well. He was also known as Mr. Can-Do, and he oversaw the construction of the park itself, basically kept everyone in line. Ah. For the most part, that group of people is primarily responsible for what we know as Disneyland opening day. There were a lot of other Imagineers that came along just years after. People like Rolly Crump and Marty Sklar and Bill Justice, uh, Ken Anderson. You know, these are all Disney legends and people that have made significant contributions to Imagineering, but the list that I gave you are really the people that help bring Walt's vision to life. And the coolest thing about that is that none of them were architects. They were all set designers. They were all uh, people that worked in Hollywood, that worked at Disney Animation, and just had these hobbies or knew how to build these models and stuff on the side. But it was that expertise that they brought to the park and the discipline that Walt empowered them with that allowed them to build Disneyland into what it was. It's cool to think now that for people that didn't know any type of architecture, Walt basically said, look, you guys are gonna have to learn how to do this. You guys are gonna learn how to fake it. You're building a real life Hollywood set, but you gotta do it to California code. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the fact that all these people went out of their way to learn everything that they had to in order to employ these techniques and tactics that they learned for movies or for animated features or special effects to pull off things like the forced perspective on Main Street is unheard of. Anybody could could build something, but in order to build it right and to build it in such a way that has a lasting legacy is a totally different story. So to those people that helped build Disneyland – we owe a debt of gratitude. And look, I'm I'm not going to say that Imagineering wasn't a place without problems. I I think we could do a whole episode of, you know, issues that happened within Imagineering especially as the years went on because it's a workplace. But I think that first group of Imagineers had such a special connection with Walt. And they had such a special connection in the way that they were building the park where they didn't have project managers and they didn't have people, uh, except for Joe Fowler, because, you know, get things done. (laughs) They didn't follow the structure that most companies follow. They followed their heart. They followed their talent. And they used that to collaborate with each other in order to build the park.
2: And Mm -hmm. I think
1: that overall, that's something that we can all learn from.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me of um, Dream It, Do It, you know? Like, that's basically what they did. The, you know, Walt dreamed it up, and he shared the dream with them, and they added their own dreams, and they just made it happen, you know? It, it is a very unique thing that has created a larger empire, but that moment in entertainment history will never be repeated. You know, Walt changed the world in a lot of ways with this idea that he came up with. And those Imagineers took that and ran with it. And, you know, they're, they're my favorite part of the Disney story is the Imagineers, Uh, you know, because they brought all of that wonderful magic that inspired me on the screen to reality and, you know, a place that you can experience it in a tactile way and, you know, even as a little kid, it just it blew my mind, you know, and that's where I find so much of the inspiration from is, is those artists who went from screen to reality in, you know, the space of a few years and, you know, created this incredible collaborative work of art. You know, I I've often compared it to, you know, like the medieval cathedrals. Uh, you know, that entire communities had to come together to build over the course of a generation or two, Um, you know, this is very similar to that. It was a collaborative artistic creation, uh, you know, combining many different disciplines. And in my personal art history view, I feel like Disneyland belongs in that same category of true works of world collaborative art. And, you know, I never get tired of it.
1: Yeah, right. that's well said.
0: <laughs> I know I didn't talk much, but I could listen to stories like this every day. And it's just what I took from it is strength and determination and more of determination. I mean, Walt had, yes, he had a vision, but man, what was in his head, how he put everything together, how he was able to explain it all put it together, work with others to make that vision come alive is astonishing. Like as a creative, I mean, it just, I love, I love, I love seeing like the rock work, the carvings, Mm -hmm. the little things like that. And it just blows my mind. Like, how did they do this? What did they, you know, you just, it inspires you and it definitely inspires me. So to hear this, to listen to how it all started from just an idea to paper and then look at the finishing product it's it's mind-blowing yeah so i really really enjoyed this and i want to listen to more
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty incredible too when you consider the timeline you know because Mm -hmm. really when walt really kind of crystallized his full idea and realized that the little plots of land he was looking at you know, especially around Burbank and around the studio, we're not going to be big enough to, you know, house his full vision. Uh, from that point, when he realized it was going to be a massive park to the point of opening day, it's like a couple years, you know, and like yeah. from construction to opening day was like a year. Yeah. Like And, and it's uh-huh. insane, you know, uh, if they were to do something like that today, it would be, you know, Four years of planning and, oh, you know, of course. two years of, you know, paperwork and, you know, four years of construction. I mean, you know, these things take so much longer now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that is because there are more rules. Yeah. But also there was just a different kind of idea of just go out and do it.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I, it is a mixture of things, you know. I heard Bob say once, Bob Gurr, that, you know, the reason that things like, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and Diagon Alley are so amazing, and they're done in such a short time is because their shop is much smaller than Imagineering is. And so there's less hurdles for them to have to jump over Mm. in order to get funding and to get, you know, what they need in order to execute these ideas. So in many ways, it's very similar to the early days of WED when there was less red tape to have to go through. And it talks to exactly what you're talking about, Gavin, that there's just a lot more rules you have to follow and uh, even laws that you have to comply You know, when you're building these types of parks that just didn't exist. And I mean, we're happy that they exist now because people's quality of life is so much better because of those laws. But there is a lot more planning that goes into this type of project now. So, uh, you know, you said something that that uh, it has really stuck with me and made me think that, you know, we're never going to see something like this again at least mm-hmm. not at this capacity. We'll probably see smaller yeah. projects, but the way that this all come together was a once-in-a-lifetime magical thing that, yeah, it's it's going to be hard to replicate. We may see things on, on a grand scale and maybe as big as Disneyland, and they may have cooler effects, but the simplicity of a lot of it, uh, as far as the storytelling and the design... And yet, how complex it is is mm-hmm. is just something that leaves me in awe. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I, I will say that there was so much about the development and Imagineering itself that I wanted to get into, but there's just it's a rabbit hole. You know, I joked about it early on, but it is a rabbit hole because the more you read, the more you want to know, and it just builds and builds and builds. Upon it, and one of the lessons that I think uh, we we can learn from Walt, especially when it comes to you know just how we do our work at times, is that there's a lot of companies and there's a lot of management that seem to think that unless you have a degree, that you're just not good at something. You know, right. and that is far from the truth because look at what all these Imagineers did. None of them yeah. had architectural degrees, none of them had the engineering skills that a handful of them did, but yet they all came together, they all designed, they executed, and they built this park. It, it's not something that you can't learn, you know, just because. Right like, look at Bob Gurr, like, he may not have known how certain things, you know, worked as far as creating a monorail system. But to him, he's like, well, it's kind of like a train. And I know that it's got wheels. And I know how these, you know, systems work. And yeah, I can make that work for you, Walt, no problem. You know, and, and that was a thing that the culture that Walt harbored especially at the beginning of wed was one in which you could just experiment and you could just go Mm -hmm. and just try to make it work. But there also came a point where Walt would look at it and say, you know, you know what, it's just not working. Let's move on. (laughs) You know, and that's a very important skill to have that I think uh, I feel that I'm learning. You know, I, I don't think that I've possessed that skill, but I think I'm getting better at stuff like that. Even with my own work, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm less critical of it now, but I think I'm learning to be able to say, "You know what? I'm not this is just wasting my time at this point. Let me either start from scratch or move on to something else." Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's so many lessons that we can learn from the building of Disneyland and from Imagineers and Wed. And like I said, there's there's just episodes and episodes of content, which we'll get into, but I, I think this was a, a good look. Into just the beginning of WED and those early Imagineers that really
2: gave us the joy that we experience when we walk into Disneyland. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we've hit on it a couple times in the last month or so, but they decided a long time ago to give tribute to the most influential people and the, the people who really shaped the park. By giving them a window on Main Street. And it's such a cool thing to me. And to me, I really feel like it's the, the greatest award in the Disney company. I know the Disney Legend is kind of vaunted as the, the top achievement. But for me, because of my love of the parks, I feel like the Main Street window is just as good, if not better. Uh, especially because it's a more exclusive club. But anyway, I bring that up to just mention, you know, if if you don't know listeners, um, all of those neat little fake companies that are advertised on all the windows along Main Street are actually nods to Imagineers who've helped shape the park. Uh, It's a really cool tribute. Um, So next time you're in the park, take a moment to look at a few of them, you know, Google a couple names if you don't know who they are. You'll find fascinating stories with every single one. They're a truly remarkable group of people. Yeah.
1: And I think we mentioned it a few episodes ago, but uh, if you want a little bit of a cheat sheet, uh, you can pick up our pal Jeff Heimbuck's book, The Windows on Main Street. Uh, it's available uh, yes. on Amazon. Yeah. I'll put the link up in the blog post for the episode, podcast.com slash 250. Uh, it's a fantastic book because Jeff put a lot of work into finding out who the Imagineers were for the on the windows in all Disney parks. And so if you want a really great way to walk down Main Street, look at a window, and he tells you exactly where they are too, by the way, which is the great thing mm-hmm. about the book, uh, yep. and, and get some information on each of those Imagineers. Grab Jeff's book. It's it's one of the coolest books that I own. And it's not just because he's my friend. It's really one of the best books that I own. So. <laughs> nice. All right, kids. I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. What do you think? Sweet. Sure. So, All right. Uh, I know we've been talking about it, and I left you hanging this entire time. I think it's time to announce the winner of our March Mayhem prize package. Cool. So, as part of March Mayhem, first of all, we want to say thank you to everyone that participated. It's always fun to see how close all of those votes get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's always amazing to us to see uh, who makes it. Because there's some people that we think, ah, or there's some characters or some attract, what whatever we're voting on, that just, to us, make us think, ah, they're never going to make it to the finals. And then Stitch made it. <laughs> so... I mean, I know Stitch has a really big following. Our friend Jill is probably yelling at her speakers right now at me. I'm sorry, Jill. She's a huge Stitch fan. Uh, But (laughs) as part of the price package, as you may know, when we first started March Mayhem, we put out a blank bracket and we asked you to fill it out, post it, tag us. And we were going to collect all of those brackets and see if anybody could get as close as possible to predicting the entire bracket now there were some people that got super close and there was a lot of people that had like three brackets dead on and it was that fourth bracket that people had just off the winner of March Mayhem is going to receive two Disneyland reusable bags that are available at the park right now. If you haven't seen this, check the blog post podcasterscom 250 for a picture of all the prizes that are going to be part of this package. You can also check out our Instagram account where we posted a picture of everything that you're going to be getting. They're going to get their choice of any t-shirt. In the Podcateers gear section of the website, they are also going to get a cool Mickey button that Gavin is providing that's exclusive to D23 members. I'm actually jealous because I wanted this button. And Gavin said, no, (laughs) it's going to be part of the price package. I was like, but I like the button. (laughs) Can I buy you a soda? And he says, no, I'd rather pay way more money than I have to to the machine outside. And I said, all right, (laughs) do whatever you want, dude. And that was the Just end of it. full circle. <laughs> <laughs> There's nice. also a really sweet Mickey sticker that's going to be a part of it, a Mickey keychain. And this really was the one that I fought for, and, and I mean fought for because I wanted it for myself even more than the Mickey button. It is a cell from a
2: Mickey Mouse cartoon. Gavin, do you want to describe the cell a little bit? Okay, so it is from the short Parade of the Award Nominees. It is in color and it is Mickey dressed up as a band leader. So he has the big fuzzy hat and he's got the baton and he's wearing green shorts, which is weird. Uh, I, I guess they made that choice because the coat is red, but it's a sweet little shot of him. And he's got like a fantasy background, which is very reminiscent of Disneyland. Actually, he's got a castle back there and a windmill. Um, So, yeah, it's an awesome little animation cell. And I still want it. Whoever wins the prize,
1: if you don't want it, I will take it. I'm just putting that out there. (laughs) On your behalf. Maybe we can trade a churro for it. Nice. (laughs) We'll see. Okay. So, without further ado, the winner of our March Mayhem 2019 prize package is... The Dylan Henning on Instagram. <laughs> Congratulations. Awesome. Congratulations. We will be uh, getting in contact with you via uh, Instagram. And thank you to everyone that participated. We are looking forward to next year's March Mayhem. I'm going to do my best to not declare Bell the winner of any match <laughs> Next year, because I don't think we're going to do Disney characters again. We got to start thinking about what's going to happen next year because this was fun. Sure, I sure. like these things. Yeah, it was. I like yeah. these. So that is it. It's time to wrap up this episode. Remember, if you need to purchase anything on Amazon, the best way to get that Amazon purchase going is by starting off that journey at Podcasters.com slash Amazon. And if you want to buy that Main Street Windows book while you're there, that's also a great book to add to your collection. So, again, podcuteers.com slash Amazon. We do get a small commission whenever you purchase using our link. It's a thank you from Amazon because we mentioned them on this podcast and you went and made your purchase. To everyone that's doing that, thank you so very much. And with that said, it's time to end this episode. So, until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone.
0: Bye.
2: Major luck.